Jeremiah chapter 1, we're going to be there at verse 5, and I'm going to go through some scripture this morning, so uh, we're going to be going through some different scripture. You know, uh, I want to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to try to make it quick. I'm going to try to make it too long, but I'm going to try to give you my testimony. I haven't done this in years and years and years. I feel like the Lord's laid it on my heart to give you my testimony of how I became a Christian, how I got, came to have a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. Uh, and I want to start there in uh, Je Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. And I'm going to show you as we go through the Bible, I'll give you verses, if you'll follow along with me, these verses will directly relate to what's going on in my life as I took those steps. Because I want to preach about a funny thing happened to me on the way to hell. A funny thing happened to me on the way to hell. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just come to you humbly, Father, as I, as I uh, give my testimony of all the greatness you've done for me, Lord God. I, can't, I don't have enough hours in the day, Lord God, to do something like that, Father, but it's a short time I do have, Father, here. These people are gracious enough to come in, Lord God. I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit will move, lead God, direct us, Lord God. And Father, I pray, Lord God, as I show how my life was a miserable disaster of a, of, a, of a life, Lord God, until you came into my heart, Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray, Lord, if there's somebody that doesn't know you, that have, has thought about getting to know you, Lord God, that this testimony that I'm about to give, Lord God, will show that you can do some marvelous and wonderful things in a man or woman's life, Lord God, or a young man or a young woman's life, Lord, and that they're not alone, Lord God, that you always love them, you're always there for them, Lord God, if they would only turn to you, and Lord, I pray, Father, that uh, this testimony will be true and righteous, Lord God, in your eyes, and everything will be done appropriately, in Jesus Christ, holy name I pray, amen. My life, guys, begins as an unwed mother, I was born out of red wedlock to a a mother that was never going to marry the guy that uh, she had the child with. She was never going to marry my dad. Uh, never knew much about him. I was born out of wedlock. But it says here in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 that God knew me. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. So thank God. I'm telling you all this about me as, as a young man, I mean as a young baby in the womb, is that my mom could have chosen abortion. She could have had me aborted. She could have took care of the problem that she knew was a problem that was going to change her life. It was going to change her, her, the rest of her life. She was, never, she was always going to have this, this, this child there that, that was a reminder of this guy. She was never going to have anything to do with. I was a perfect candidate for abortion. And thank God she didn't choose that way. So I, I, I have a special heart for pro-life. I have a special heart for fighting against abortion because I'm a perfect candidate for abortion and thank God she made the right choice and saved me or I wouldn't be here. But you know, mom's choice could have changed the whole future. But I believe God has an infinite plan and he had chosen somebody. If my mom would have chose to abort me, she would have aborted me, my soul would be up in heaven with the Lord God. But that plan that he had for me, he would have had to choose another person to take care of that plan. He'd have had to choose another person to come out here to Indian Gap Baptist Church. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there's probably somebody out there that's supposed to be here instead of me. But when God called them, they're like, I'm not going out there. So he says, see that, that one right there, that trash man? We'll just get him to come on out here. You know? He's just dumb enough to do that. You know? Here I am. But it's thanks to a choice that wasn't made in the wrong way by my mother that I'm here today. 
Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nation. I had no idea nobody would have known to tell my mom, hey, that baby that you're thinking about aborting, one day he's going to be a preacher. Nobody can know that. I'm here to tell you this morning that God's got a plan for you. I don't know what that plan is. I can't speak to that plan, but I'm here to tell you that God can do some marvelous, wonderful things with you, and you can never even dream of it. I mean, you could never even, um, you, you could sit down all day long and imagine and think about it. You could never dream that's what's going to happen to you if you'll let God work in your life. And you say, well, it kind of scares me, Pastor. I don't know if I will want you. I, we're not talking about being scared. We're talking about how God will ordain you and open doors and close doors. And there'll be times where you think, well, and then things will fall apart. And you'll think, oh, no, my life's a miserable wreck. Nothing's ever going to go right again. And then all of a sudden, God swoops in and he shows you another door. You walk through that door and you look back. And if you're like me, you'll look back 20, 30 years later. And you look back and you'll say, man, I'm glad that happened. Because if it didn't happen, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. God can work things out. He has a plan for you. He wants to do something with you, but you've got to allow him. You've got to make that choice. It's your choice. It's your right or right to deny him. Like my mom had a right to, she could have uh, killed me in the womb. Amen. She could have done that and that would have been the end. That would have been the end of me. I'm proud and glad that my mom chose that. Look at uh, Psalm 68. So as a young man, Psalms chapter 68. As a young man growing up, I didn't know my dad. I didn't know who my dad was. I asked my mom over and over again, I, I, where, who's my daddy? I want my daddy. Where, where's my daddy at? Evidently, I did that a lot. My aunt went, was to tell me later on. I didn't know I was doing that. I was too young to remember. But I asked my mom a lot about my dad growing up. I was always outside throwing the football to myself, taking a tennis ball. When you're a young man that doesn't have, any, uh, have a dad, you always like throwing the ten you figure out how to throw the tennis ball off a wall and catch it yourself and throw a football in the air and run. <laughs> I got pretty good at that kind of stuff. There was nobody to throw a football to me. Nobody to take me fishing. Nobody to show me how to fix a car. Nobody to show me anything that a lot of y'all take for granted that your dad was there to show you. And praise God that you had a dad to do that. I didn't have that dad. But then one day, I was at a family reunion, I was about eight years old, and I was getting in the car with my mom. My mom was all upset, I had no idea what my mom was upset about. I was getting in the car, and here comes my Aunt Dorothy. She comes up there, and she grabs my arm, and she says, come here, Keegan. And my mom grabs my other arm, and she's like, no, no. My mom's just screaming. My aunt's pulling me with one arm. My mom's not letting go of me with the other arm. My mom's just crying and screaming out, no, no, no. And my aunt yanks me out of my mom's hands, walks me across the yard, and walks me up to this big tall guy who has a cowboy hat on. He says, Keegan, you've been asking about who your dad is? Here he is. She pushes me to this man. I'll never forget the look on his face because he had a cowboy hat. He had cowboy boots on. I remember looking at him, and he had tears just rolling down his eyes. Never met him. That's the first time he met me. And what I had found out later, that he had tried to get a hold of me. He had tried to find out about me. And when he went, he went to visit my mom, he'd visit my mom and said, I heard you, had a, heard you had a little boy. My mom said, no, it was a girl. She told him I was a girl. She would never let him see me. She would never let him see me. And my aunt, thank God, praise the Lord, pulled him out, pulled me out, let me see my dad. My dad put me in his lap talked to me, kissed on my cheek, did all, I mean, I'm telling you guys, when I left there, we got back in the car, I, that's one of the happiest moments of my entire life, outside of getting saved. 
I was, this, I was the first time I'd ever been on cloud nine. I didn't know what that was like. I was just a euphoric state. Psalm 68, verse 4, Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Jah. Jah is the abbreviation for Jehovah. Rejoice before him. Look at verse 5. He's a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows. Is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. So about three months later from meeting my dad for the first time, I was excited. He, he gave me his address. He's supposed to come back and visit me. He was on the way down to Austin. He stopped at a, he was with his girlfriend at that time. He was on a motorcycle. He was on the way down to Austin. He stopped at a roadside park down there at Austin. This man walked up, asked for gasoline. My dad said some choice words to him. The guy pulled a gun out and shot and killed my dad just like that. Boom. Murdered him. Took the girl that he was with. It was a younger woman. Took her. Took her across the county lines. Raped her. Killed her. That guy got 40 years. That guy's out walking around today. I don't know who it is. I don't want to care who it is. I hope he gets saved. But as a young man, I found that news out. I came home, my aunt told me, Keegan, I got some news you need to know. Some not good news. Your dad got murdered. I crawled up in my aunt's lap as a young man, about eight years old, and I cried and cried and cried. That was going to change my life for a long time. I got angry with God. And what I didn't realize is that God had took away my dad. I feel like God had done me wrong. I feel like I, didn't ha- I just now got to find a dad and he was took away from me. And I didn't realize that God was there for me and would be a father for me. He's a father to the fatherless. If you're underneath the sound of my voice and you don't have a dad, God wants to be your dad. You couldn't have a better dad. And it took me later on getting saved to start understanding what God was and how he was a father and how he looks at me as a son for me to understand how wonderful, wonderful, wonderful that is. He's a father to the fatherless. And a judge of the widows. Ladies, you've lost your husband in here. you lost a loved one. He's there for you. And he's in his holy habitation. Look at verse 6. God said at the solitary in families, you might not have a good mom, you might not have a good dad, you might not know who your mom and dad is. I don't know what your situation in life is right now, but God wants to set you in a family. And that family is his family. And we're not talking about, we're not talking about just some guy living down the road. We're talking about the God of the universe, the creator of everything you've ever seen or know of. He wants you to be his son or daughter, and he wants to be your dad. And that means allowing you to come in, and everything he owns, you inherit. And as a young man, I didn't understand that. Oh, I went to church on and off. I went to vacation Bible school. I remember some of that, and we talked about that this morning, that I had heard of Jesus Christ. I had believed that there was a Jesus Christ, but I had never believed on Jesus Christ. I would never let that head knowledge go down to my heart yet. Look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, and as I grew up as a young man, Something started happening in my heart. Romans chapter 4, verse 15. Something started happening in my heart and I started realizing I was a sinner. 
Now we call this doctrinally, doctrinally we call this the age of accountability. And what that means is, is there's a time in your life where God is not holding you as a young person, as a child, up until this certain age, and I don't know what that age is, and that's another sermon for another day, but there's a time in your life where you become knowledgeable of the difference between good and evil. And from that point on, God starts holding your sins to your account. What age is that? Is that 10? Is that 15? Is that 20? Honestly, I think it's different for every person in this room. There comes a time when you wake up, I don't know what time, it's like an enlightenment time where you wake up and you start realizing, I am doing things that are bad. Now, some of us, it might not be till like 18, 19 years old. Some of us, it might be 10 years old. I've heard of people getting that way at 5, 6, 7. They're around Bible preaching. They're around the Word of God their whole life as a, at a young age, and they hear that, and they get, a, they get a convicted at 6, 7 years old of their sin. It took me to be around 10, 11 before I started realizing, hey, I'm a sinner. What does that mean? It means I know I'm not doing right. Look at verse 15, Romans chapter 4, verse 15, because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. When you don't know, when you don't have, when God's not holding that law against you, there's no transgression, there's no sin. So all those little children you know that die, all those little children that are aborted, they're going straight to heaven. Those little children that grow up, they, until they get to the age of accountability, they're all going to heaven. It's when you get to that age of accountability, when you get to where you know the difference between good and evil, that's when God says, I'm going to start holding it against you. And boy, he had a lot to hold against me. I was mad. I was angry. I was sorry. I was no good. I've said up here many times, if you got to know me before I was saved, you wouldn't have liked me because I didn't like me. I hated the world. I hated life. I hated God. I hated everybody. But I did realize I was a sinner. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 13. Hey, everybody, God gives a conscience to everybody. And I don't care if you say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. You know there's something right and you know there's something wrong and God's giving you that. You know it. Now you might close your conscience off, you might sear your conscience, you might try to deny it, but it's in there and you know it. It's written on your heart what's right and wrong. I shouldn't have to preach that. That's pretty obvious. You see these kids, you start seeing these kids, they might not know that's what's right and wrong, but you can see a sin in a little baby. I'm not saying that baby's going to hell, but that sin is there. It's inherent in that little child. Anybody who's been around little children have seen this. They'll lie, they'll cheat, they'll do things. Why, why are they? That's in them. That's in their nature. It's given to them by Adam that's passed down through the fathers that my father gave me. Look at verse for, uh, 13 of chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 4. Until the law of sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. See, when there's no law, there is no sin. Amen? So if you're driving down the road and there's no speed limit sign, just go 100. It don't matter. There's no, there's no law. So just <laughs> you better not. You better not. But the truth is, is what these verses are showing you, what I'm, these two verses I'm showing you is, is what we call the age of accountability. Well, God's not holding against a young child until he starts realizing that he's right or wrong. That's me. I realized it around 10 or 11. I'm trying to guess about what year it is. I'm not really sure. But I knew I was wrong. I knew I was a sinner. Look at verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. 
Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, that would be Adam, and death by sin, that's why we all die, because of sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So if you're in here this morning, you're like, well, I don't think there's anything wrong or right. I just live my own life. Wrong, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. What does that mean? That means you might, listen, you might do some of the most wicked stuff in this world and get out of, get out of it. Might not get arrested. Not get convicted. Never go to jail. But listen, with God, there's a payday someday, and one day you're going to stand before a holy, just God, and He's going to judge you for those sins. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about when you start realizing, hey, I'm doing wrong, and one day I'm going to have to answer for that. That's where I was. Now look at James chapter 4. I was that way. I was angry. I was bitter. I hated. I just, I had a bunch of hate in my heart. James chapter 4. You want to know how sorry no good I was? You can just, my sister's here. She can tell you story after story, but you're not allowed to talk to her. She's going to, I'm going to escort her out of here. I don't want y'all to think any less of me. Good night. I mean, I'm not much better than I was before then. That's the sad part about it. Well, I thought you got saved. I did get saved, but I'm still in the flesh. I'm talking about my destination. I'm talking about I was on a trip to hell, and something funny happened on the way. I didn't see it happening. I didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't see it coming. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 14. I mean, James chapter 4, verse 14, excuse me. James chapter 4, pardon me. James chapter 4, verse 14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. See, as a young man, you came to me at 10, 11 years old, and you were to show me that verse, I would say, Amen. I'd say, That's right. I'd say, I knew my dad, and then it wasn't three months later, my dad was dead. I was picking up flowers off his grave. I didn't have a dad anymore. Life is short. Life is sorry. Life is no good. God, I don't want to talk about God. I hate God. Look what God did to me. I became friends with a good, a good friend of mine named Larry Sullivan. That's where I got to know Joker. Larry, Joker was friends with Larry's brother Eric and Mark. He's friends with Larry too, but I was real close with Larry. Larry and I were in the same grade, and Larry was a real, real smart guy, and we hung out everywhere. We went everywhere together. We hung out. We slept, he slept over my house. I slept over his house. We watched movies together. We had the same common interests. We just loved hanging out with him. He was like closer than a brother, like the Bible says. When I read the story of David and Jonathan, y'all read the story of David and Jonathan, where it said David and Jonathan, those two men's hearts were knit together because they loved each other so much. That's when the world says, see, David and Jonathan, they were gay. <laughs> That's not what the Bible, they had nothing to do with sex or any kind of sexual orientation. What it had to do with was a love a man can have for another man. And that's the love I had for him. It was, we were so close that I had, years and years later, I had a friend come to me and say, well, I thought you and him were gay. <laughs> no. Because we always saw y'all together. Yeah, we, were, we did everything together. We were best friends. As best friends as you can ever have. One day, Larry left my house. He went home. He's at, he's at his house. And he called me on the phone. We were talking about something. And while we were on the phone, his brother had a shotgun there, sawed-off shotgun. He moved that shotgun. Larry moved that so shotgun while I was on the phone with him, and it blew off, went off. Killed him. 
while I was on the phone with him. All I heard was, uh, that's it. I didn't hear a scream, I didn't hear a yell, I just heard a, uh, that's it. My best friend in the world went off into eternity, about 14 years old. I didn't know what happened, and I thought they were playing a joke on me, so I had some heavy metal music, and I was playing some heavy metal music, and his brother came on the line and said, Larry's been shot, Larry's been shot, get off the phone. And I wouldn't get off the phone, and he had to run up the road, come back. Joker knows the story well. Larry died. Cops came over the house, knocked on the door, investigated what was going on because they knew I was on the phone with him. I guess they wanted to make sure he didn't commit suicide or something of that nature. But I remember the cops leaving. I remember I cried and cried and cried. And I remember crying to my mom, why did God take him and not me? I was angry with God. Why did God not take me? And I meant that. I meant that as a young man. I was 13 years old. I meant that with all my heart. I would rather die than him to die. I couldn't understand God. Why did he do that? I was angry. Boy, you thought, you thought I was angry before. It got even 10 times worse. And what I know according to this verse is life is short. My dad had died at a young age. He was a young man. Way younger than me today. My friend died at 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. Guys, I can't promise you what tomorrow's going to bring. Death's been around me from a young age. And I know, hey, tomorrow death's going to arrive. Death's going to knock on your door. It brings a dark cloud over your life. It brings this heaviness, this depression, this anger, this bitterness over your life, knowing that death's just right there, following you around. For what is your life? What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeared for a little time and it vanisheth away. You know, we've had in this church just recently, we had a couple of members that just had a touch of it. Heart problems, stroke problems, just, just a little touch of how short and how precious and how easy life can change. And I got mad at God. And I blamed God. I got into witchcraft. I got into the occult. I started stealing witchcraft books from the local bookstore. And I would study those witchcraft books. And I would learn how to conjure up demons. And I watched some of these TV shows, some of the stuff that Marvel's putting out. And they show some of their characters like the Scarlet Witch and some of the stuff they're doing. And she's doing, she's doing exactly how I was trained to do it. Build a pentagram. Make a black wall. Make a black room. Draw the pentagram. Put the candles in there. And while you do this, you sit in that circle so the demons can't get you, supposedly. Because you're inside that circle and you're controlling them. Or you're drawing that circle and you're conjuring that demon into that circle so he can't get out. That's why you draw the pentagram. That's why you draw that witchcraft stuff. I've done it all. I tried it all. But I was empty on the inside. And you say there's power. There's power in that stuff. I found power in it, but I didn't find happiness. And I remember reading a witchcraft book, and it was talking about standing in a grocery line, and you would have you stand in a grocery line waiting to check out, and you know how they always have candy on both sides, of, you know, trying to get you to buy something, right? So they always have all that candy and stuff sitting there. The way they trained us in that witchcraft book was you stand behind them, and you stare at the back of their head, and you tell them, pick up a candy bar, pick up a candy bar. Pick up. You're trying to control them. Pick up a candy bar, pick up a candy bar, pick up a candy bar. And what I was amazed to find out when I tried that is how many times that would work. And the book would tell us 
would teach me, one thing you would do is once you get good at telling, getting them to pick up a candy bar, then you start telling them what candy bar to pick up. Pick up a Hershey's, pick up a Hershey's, pick up a Hershey's. You're just staring. You're trying to control their mind. You're trying to control their spirit. You're trying to get them to do what you want. It's all about power and power grab. And you're trying to teach them. You're trying to learn power so you can control other people. But in that book, one thing it said at the end of that, it said, don't try this on a Christian. They're too stupid for this to work. And even as an angry, mad young teenager, I knew that wasn't right. Because I knew Christians, and I knew some smart Christians, and something just didn't ring true. And now that I'm a Christian, and now that I'm a born-again believer, I can tell you today that the reason why that person, that author, wrote that in that book is the truth is, a Christian has the Holy Spirit in him, and no, you're not going to be able to control that Christian. The Holy Spirit's in that Christian. And those unclean spirits you're trying to get on that Christian, it don't work. Because we got a bigger God in us. That's on the outside of the world. I didn't know that as a teenager. I was too stupid to see it. I was too angry. I was too bitter. I was too mad at God. Turn back to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. So as a young man, I didn't believe in God. Well, I believed in God. That's not a true statement. I did believe in a God. I was mad at God. I was angry at God. I, I, I wanted to do the devil things. I got into heavy metal music. I got into really, really heavy metal music. I got into witchcraft, the occult. And when I say heavy metal music, I mean heavy metal. What they, the world would probably call today death metal. It wasn't called death metal at that time, but it was really, really heavy metal music. I would listen to music by a group, and I know they're still around today because I see them and once. Well, not see them, but I know of, I hear of them. The name of the group was called Slayer, and they're, and they're a devout Satanists. They proclaim to be Satanists, and in their music, they would sing songs. And I'll never forget. I had a, had a headphones on, and I was. And this is back in the Walkman. This is the '80s, so I had a Walkman, you know. And I'm walking down, and I'm listening to this cassette of, of, of Slayer, and the song is "Slay God, Slay God, Slay God," just over and over again. Slay God, hate God, hate God, slay God. And I was, that was in my heart. Every waking moment of the day. Luke chapter 12, verse 5. Here's what Christ has to say. Luke chapter 12, verse 5. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. So Christ is talking about there in verse 4, he's talking about how you're afraid of those people that can kill, kill your body and not do anything else to you. You need to be afraid of God who can kill your soul and cast it into hell. Read verse 4, And I say unto you, friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you who you shall fear. Fear, fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yes, yeah, I say unto you, fear him. I was a young man without any fear. I was a young man that didn't fear God. I didn't have any kind of fear of God. I remember that uh, I was with another friend of mine sitting at the front of my house, and this guy rides by on a 10-speed bicycle, and I seen him, and he turned around, and he turns around, and he comes back over. And this is at nighttime. This is probably about 8 or 9 o'clock at night. It's dark outside. And this guy comes around, and he goes, I want to tell you about Jesus. This young man, he's just a little bit older than me, young teenager, he says, I want to tell you about Jesus. And I said, yeah, I'll tell you about Jesus. 
you can go blankety blank, blankety blank. Ha ha, and I laughed at him and mocked him and made fun of him. And the, and the look on his face, I heard him, and I thought it was funny. I heard him with words, and the shamefacedness. He had shame. He, he looked, he, it was red-faced. He was embarrassed as I mocked him and made fun of him. And this same tongue that I used to preach the gospel is the same tongue that I preached against the gospel. I was appalled. I would have killed him if I could have got away with it. I hated God. I hated Jesus Christ. I hated Christians. And man, I mocked them every chance I got. I remember having to go to a church one time and we sit in there and we're looking at the, at the hymns and I told my friend, look at this. And I just mocked the Christian hymns. I just mocked them. And today, I sing them and praise them. I dropped out of high school. I never went to school. You know, the easiest way to drop out of high school is just don't go. I never went because I didn't want to be told what to do. Once Larry died, once he was killed, I stopped going at all. I just stopped going. And they'd come look for a truant officer, come looking for me. I knew all the places to hide. They weren't going to find me. I dropped out of high school. I was in bad shape. I was lazy, sorry, no good, mad at God, angry at God. And then something happened at a church one day. Turn to Romans chapter 10. This is the funny thing. Because there is something funny that happened to me on the way to hell. Because I was on the way to hell. And I remember listening to ACDC on highway to hell. Oh yeah, I loved it. Hell's bells. I mean, I loved all that music. I, I, I loved it. I played it loud. King Diamond, Slayer, Venom, all the demonic stuff you could think of, Conjuring, I, we did it all. I have a friend that's a dear friend of mine that was a part of all of that. He's in really, really bad shape today with a blood disorder, really bad shape. And I pray God that he repents. Pray God that the Lord's not punishing him for all that we did. And I pray God, God don't punish me. Because he was a part of that with me. See, there's, there's a payday someday. God will not be mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I was sowing it, and I was sowing anger and hate, fights in school, fights out in the streets, getting beat up, trying to stab people, people trying to stab me. Lucky I didn't get killed. But then one day I went to church with my mom. Why were you at church? I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember any of this. But I just happened to be at church. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. One day I was at church. And I can't remember why I was at church with my mom. I didn't have a car. I was about 17 years old. Look at this verse, verse 14. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? Now shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So I went to church, just like maybe you're in here this morning, maybe wherever you're at. I was at church, just... Normal day, like any other day. I hate God. I hate Christ. I hate. I mock Christians. I hate everything about them. Sitting in the church one day, and I heard a preacher named Brother Packer. 
Now, if you're from Brownwood and you know Brother Packer, Brother Packer wasn't the best of men. He was just a man. He had a lot of flaws, but he could preach. And he preached the gospel. And he preached Jesus Christ crucified. And he's just like me, just a regular old guy. But he was preaching the gospel, and I was sitting at the back of the church, just like you're sitting in here this morning. And something said in my heart, you're going to hell. And you need Jesus Christ. I didn't hear angels singing. There wasn't a lightning bolt that come out of the sky through a window and hit me and I turned into a superhero. It's just a funny thing happened in my heart on the way to hell. And I realized I need to get saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Look at verse 9. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So as I said at the back and got to hearing that preacher preach, he says, hey, if you want Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, a lot like what I do here. This is one of the reasons why I do it this way because it's the way it was done for me. Hey, if you want Jesus Christ, come on down. He didn't beg me. Angels didn't start singing. Lightning bolt didn't come through the window. I just stood up and I walked down the aisle and I put my hand in Brother Packer's hand and I said, I want to be saved. I know I told you all this story and you're expecting some kind of miracle conversion while I was out there and it was raining and I had hair at that time and it's going through my hair and the wind's blowing and there's angels singing and it don't work that way. That's not how God works. When the Holy Spirit moves and works on a man, Jesus Christ said, it's like the wind blowing through the trees. You see the leaves moving? But you don't see the wind? But you see the results of the wind? See, when I walk down that aisle, nobody in that church says, oh, he's going to be a preacher someday. And my mom was there. More than likely they thought, oh, gosh. Here he is putting on a show. Here he is trying to make a show of something. What's he up to now? There's got to be some con in it. He's never faithful to anything. You know, he never does anything right. If he thinks he's a Christian, he's not. I bet they were all thinking that. And guys, I'm here to tell you, they would have been right to believe that. But what they couldn't see was what was going on in my heart with Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you, you think, oh, it's so simple. What do you mean? It's just that simple just to take Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, just to believe on him, knowing that he's saved you? Yeah, just come on down. I'm here to tell you, when that happened at that church, like I said, when I came down and put my hand in the preacher's hand, there was no angel singing, no lightning bolt, no boom, no conversion, but in my heart, there was a weight lifted off of my shoulders, that anger, that resentment, that and I remember getting in the car with my mom on the way home, and I was never happier than when I first met my dad. It was amazing. I never felt that. I never felt that peace. I never felt that joy. I never felt that contentment. I never felt that clean. I went home. I went into my bedroom. I had posters of all the heavy metal guys, occult stuff, Ozzy Osbourne, all that stuff. was all, And I went and I tore all those posters down off my wall. Why would you do that, Pastor? Because I was done with that. 
The old kicking is dead and there's a new kicking in Jesus Christ. I know my mom must have thought I went crazy. Went over to my friend's house, sat on his table and said, I need to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus. He said, why are you telling me this about Jesus? We made fun of these Christians. We make fun of them. What are you talking about? You've gone crazy. I guess I have. I just want to tell you about Jesus. Was I a good Christian? No. And never have been. Honestly, I'm not a very good Christian. He said, well, you're a preacher. You're... I'm not. I'm just doing what the Lord has called me to do. Is this what I want to do? Not really. You know what I want to do? I want to sit out there with you guys and listen to good preaching and amen or boo or hiss or whatever and go home and just be left alone and live my own life. And the Lord says, I have plans for you, boy. I didn't save you to sit over there. I saved you to do something for me. And I get up and let's go. And listen to me. I've heard that because <laughs> I've tried to run. I'm like Jonah. I didn't get the well treatment yet, but I know it's coming. I was at Pensacola Bible Institute, and I begged God, I want to go back to Texas. I want to go back to Texas. Let me go back to Texas. And I heard God say, and you can believe me or not, I heard God say, boy, if you get in that truck, I'm going to kill you. So you know what I didn't do? I didn't get in that truck. And one day I woke up, and God said, you can go. Were you done? I wasn't done with school. He said, you can go. How do you know? I don't know. I just knew I could go. You know what happened next? By 3 o'clock that afternoon, I was heading to Texas, pulling my travel trailer back to Texas. Because <laughs> God says, okay, you can go, boy. I'm not a good Christian. I'm never going to be a good Christian. But one thing I can do for you is help you go to where I'm at when it comes to salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm here for every Sunday. Because I love this book. Because this book has shown me Jesus Christ more and more. And I want you to get to love Jesus Christ in this book just like me. In closing, I'm going to read Luke chapter 15. This is in closing, Luke chapter 15, verse 7. I know this isn't some crazy, amazing testimony that you're never going to forget, but this is my testimony. And I remember when I went to Bible college, one of the things we had to do, we had preacher, we had preacher class, and in preacher class, all the men had to each get up and give their testimony about how they got saved. And it was amazing to me. You had young men get up there and said, yeah, I got saved at five years old. I've been my pa I'm a pastor's son. I've always served the Lord. And they do all this crazy stuff for the Lord. Never, never drank, never smoked, never cussed. Never... And I'm like, man, I'm in the wrong room. These boys are milk toast. Never done anything wrong. But you know what about them? They don't have the problems I have. They don't have the problems with sin like I have to this day. Listen to me, young people. The things you're doing today is going to affect you at 20 and 30 and 40. You'll be fighting those sins the rest of your life. If you can avoid it today, you'll be 100 times better off in the future. But in closing, I want to read this, and then we'll get out of here. Luke chapter 15, verse 7. This is Jesus Christ, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which needeth no repentance. And then in verse 10, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Well, I was in Victory Baptist Church when I was 17 years old and I walked down the aisle and got saved. Nobody in the back jumped up and screamed, praise God! 
Keegan finally got saved. Nobody was screaming. Nobody was hollering. Nobody's rejoicing. Like I said, everybody's back there saying, what's this boy up to? But you know what was going up in heaven? Up in heaven, they were singing and shouting. He's come home. Praise God. He's come home. And down on earth, nobody cared. But there was one little 17-year-old boy that said, thank you, Lord Jesus. I feel clean. I feel clean. And Jesus Christ is the best thing that ever happened to me. The Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, for my salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you make it simple. You make it easy, Lord God. You don't make it hard. I didn't have to climb a mountain or go and feed the poor or do any kind of works, Lord God. You just made it by simple faith in Jesus Christ, Lord. And I pray, Father, if there's somebody in the sound of my voice that's heart is touched, Lord God, by your Holy Spirit, and they need to make a decision, they'll come on down the aisle. Lord, we're not asking them to join this church or get baptized right now, Lord. We're just asking them if they need to make a decision, they'll come on down. Like I did when I was about 17, Lord God, just get saved. Just ask you to save them, Lord God. And I, I know, Lord Jesus, you will. And I know if you're in here this morning with these people, Lord God, that aren't saved, that you're behind them, Lord God. You're not with me. You love them. They're lost, and you want them saved. Lord, I thank you for coming for the lost. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now that's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath 
of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.